Glad to study guide is in your program. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 11. That's page 1041. If you're losing one of the church Bibles, 1041. As you guys are turning there and grabbing your study guide, someone sent me this email story entitled, If God Had Voicemail. If God had voicemail. Let me read it to you as you guys are finding Luke 11. Thank you for calling heaven. I am sorry for all, uh, that all of our angels and saints are busy helping other customers right now. However, your prayer is important to us, and we will answer it in the order that it was received. Please stay on the line. If you'd like to speak to God, press 1. Jesus, press 2. Holy Spirit, press 3. If you'd like to hear King David singing a psalm while you're holding, press 4. <laughs> to find a loved one who's been assigned to heaven, press 5. Then enter his or her social security number, followed by the pound sign. If you get a negative response, please hang up and try area code 666. Whoa, hey. <laughs> for reservations in heaven, please enter John 316. For, John, uh, for answers to nagging questions about dinosaurs, the age of the earth, life on other planets, and where Noah's Ark is, please wait until you arrive in heaven. If you're calling after hours and need emergency assistance, please contact one of your local area pastors. You know, I read that and I got thinking on, in this series that we're in on our 21 days of prayer, uh, the privilege that is prayer. When you think of the theological construct that is this idea that you and I have the opportunity to talk the almighty God, creator of the universe, and he wants that. He enjoys that. That's crazy talk. It's crazy. To, it blows your mind to even process that. Beyond what is the privilege of prayer in, in Luke chapter 11, that is going to be the anchor passage as we take off this morning, there, there's three components of Luke chapter 11 that become significant and important that I want to draw your attention to. So in Luke 11, we begin, and we see in verse 1, one day Jesus was praying. Stop right there. If anybody could skip prayer, it would have been Jesus. And yet we see on a consistent basis that Jesus carves out time to pray and emphasizes to you and to me, if I have to do it, says Jesus, how much more do my people have to do it? And then he goes on and gives us a pattern of prayer. Uh, when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gives what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Now, uh, many Christians, many churches, you know, I've done it before as a pastor, you know, at some point in time in the prayer or in the sermon or something, you know, and, and, and teach us to pray the prayer that your Lord taught us, our Father who art, and we get everybody to do it together. Um, it's not that that's wrong, but please understand that when Jesus presents the Lord's Prayer, he's not presenting it as a mantra to be repeated. He's presenting it as a pattern to be followed. So, for example, our father. It's the emphasis and reminder that you are to pray together with other people. Not my father, our father. Father, you don't access God because you're friends with him. You access God because he's a father to you. You've embraced his son, Jesus. And every component and every line and almost every word presents a model or a component of effective prayer. After he gives the Lord's prayer, however, he tells a story. He tells a story that emphasizes the persistence that was required in good prayer, the perseverance that is required in good prayer. On October the 30th, 1988, the first Energizer Bunny commercial appeared on TV. Who would have thought that this pink mechanical bunny wearing sunglasses camp advertising campaign would be as popular and successful as it was? Advertising experts still speak of this campaign because they, they never thought it would take off. You've, we've all seen the commercial, right? And, and, and it's this bunny, and it's advertising uh, batteries how, that they last longer than other people's batteries. But it's the caption 
that is a successful. It keeps going and going and going. And so should be your prayer life. So should be your prayer life. You should keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. Thus the title of the, of the message this morning. You see it in your notes. Praying like the Energizer Bunny. But, but what's the story that Jesus tells? He might use the same idea. What's the story? Let's look at it. Luke chapter 11. It's the story of a, of a friend that shows up at, at a house at midnight. Suppose you have a friend, Jesus says. You go to him at mid, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. There's a friend of mine that has come on a journey to me, and I have no food to offer him. Now, a couple things I want to point out to you. First of all, the emphasis of the time that the traveler arrives at his buddy's house, it's midnight. Now, I don't know about you, but midnight's pretty late for me, right? Most of us have been in bed for an hour or a little bit more getting ready for work the next day, or if you're a student, getting ready to go to school. But the emphasis to the hearers of the story is significant. You see, we often forget that because they didn't have electricity, like we see, we have electricity. So when it gets dark outside at whatever, six o'clock nowadays, we're, we still go on living. We can uh, have our laptops, we have TV, we, the lights are on, we can fold laundry, do the dishes, whatever you want to do. But in those days, when, when there was no more light outside, natural light, they have candles, yes. But for all intensive purposes, when it gets dark outside, life ends. It's bedtime. And what, what, what commentators say Jesus is trying to emphasize here is, listen, this home and the entire village has been sleeping for minimum three hours. Minimum. But this friend shows up anyway. Why? So now this is the Middle East. They are not driving in air-conditioned cars. When you were walking a long distance, the goal was to try and walk as much as possible in the late afternoon, evening hour, because it was cooler. You don't want to be walking uh, in 100-degree weather at, at, at noon or 1 p.m. You'd walk in the afternoon, evening hour if you could. And it, something must have happened with this guy. He's got his GPS out. He's got his Waze app out. And he's like, oh, my goodness, I'm only a couple hours away from my buddy's house. Instead of camping for the night, I think I'm just going to push through. We've all been on a trip where we did that, right? Whether you're going to, to Portland, to family, or Los Angeles, wherever you're going. Let me just push through. I'm not going to stay at a hotel. I'm just going to push through and get to where I'm going. And he does, and he arrives at midnight. And when he arrives, his buddy, maybe they were college buddies, hey, it's good to see you. He realizes this traveler, he didn't stop for dinner. And, and, and hospitality is still a high value in, in, in Judea and in Jerusalem. And so they're like, I've got to feed him. And, and, and his wife's like, we don't have any food. Go next door to Yaakov. I, I'm sure they have extra. I, I, they went to the, the grocery store earlier. I know they have extra food. So he slips out. Uh, you know, I'm going to take care of your horse or your donkey and get him some water. But he really goes next door to his neighbor's house. And here's what we read. Suppose that the one inside answers. He asks for food. The one inside, his neighbor answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now, the question becomes, can't he or won't he? And, and initially you think, well, no, what he's really saying is that he won't. But when you start to understand the architecture of homes in those days, you realize that, he, no, he really can't. 
He can't do it without a disaster happening. You see, when we think of people's homes, we think a two-bedroom townhouse, a one-bedroom apartment, a three-bedroom house. Now, in those days, here's the architecture of all homes. Think studio apartment. So when, if you've ever lived in a studio apartment or have a friend in a studio apartment, this is the uniqueness of a studio apartment. You have the living room here. You have the kitchen eating area there. You have the sleeping area here, and it's all in one room. There's only one little area in studio apartments that are closed off, the bathroom in the corner. That's how it was essentially in those days. Even large homes the size of this stage, it was all open. And what, what this guy is, is reminding us of is, listen, I'm asleep over here. I have my three kids and my baby asleep. In those days, because you didn't want people to steal your flock, you bring all the sheep and the goats in the house, the donkey in the house, and the horse in the house, and the dog. They're all there. So what he's saying is if I have to go to the door, open it and give you bread, I'm going to have to step over everybody. The probability of making it there and back to my pillow without waking up one person is impossible. And if I wake up one, we wake up everybody. Bro, I love you. I'm not getting you any bread. I'm not going to do it. The homeowner is desperate, though. I, I got to feed my buddy. I know you've got bread. So guess what he does? He just keeps knocking. I'm, I'm not going away. No, I know your kids are asleep. No, I know it's going to be mass pandemonium. I, I know the baby's asleep. No, I know your wife's going to get upset. I know it might affect our friendship. I'm not going away. I need some bread. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you that even though he will not get up and give you bread because he's a friend of yours, because a friend should help you out if he can. He's chosen. I'm not going to help you. I don't care if I'm your friend. Because he won't get up even though he has a friendship with you. Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much bread as you need. That Greek word that I've underlined and broken into two English words in, in, the, in the New Testament, NIV, is a very difficult Greek word to translate because it suggests, well, it suggests shame. That's part of the translation. That The guy outside knocking, he's trying to shame his neighbor and his friend. Why? Because hospitality was such a big deal there. And if you didn't take care of a traveler when it came to feeding him, it not only reflected on the home, it reflected on the entire village. He's trying to shame him. Other translations say because of your boldness. Other translations, one Jewish translation said because the man had chutzpah. He wouldn't go away because of his persistence, because of his perseverance. And keep going and keep asking and keep going and keep asking. And if you do that, you're going to get a response. Here's the main point if you're drawing down, putting down notes. I want you to write this down. If persistence works with a reluctant, tired neighbor friend, how much more does persistence work with a loving father? Does that make sense? If it works with a neighbor who doesn't want to get out of bed, how much more is it going to work with your heavenly father? It happened to me a couple years ago. It happened to me again just this last week. It's kind of interesting. My dog, I have a 13-year-old beagle. Yeah, so he's a little bit older, but he still has a little pep in his step. And, I, and we walk him around the neighborhood, not too far, because he can't walk too long. But every time we walk by a driveway, and a car's parked in the driveway, this is what my dog does. We're walking, and this is what he does. He looks underneath the car. Do you know why? He's looking for cats. 
he's looking for, I'm so proud of him, right? <laughs> so we're walking, and he's looking underneath, and we're walking, and he's looking underneath, and we're walking, and at one point in time, he looks underneath a car, and I can see his nails. He's trying to get his legs going, and immediately a cat scurries off to the side, right? And he's wanting to chase the dog, uh, the cat, and he's going to get after him, right? And, and, but I, as a responsible pet owner, uh, I locked his chain. If you've had one of these chains for dogs, he couldn't, he couldn't go but that far, right? I had locked his chain. And here's what happened. The cat apparently realized what was happening. The cat didn't run away. Oh, no, 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 no. The cat took about 10 steps, realized that the dog wasn't chasing him anymore. The cat stopped, turned around, and smiled at us. <laughs> the cat started literally taunting my dog. And my dog was pulling and yanking. And my, dad, my dog was pulling and pulling and pulling, right? And when I saw what that cat was doing, you know, I'm not, mature, I, I'm not proud of this. But I unlocked that chain and we chased that cat for half a block. Do you know why my dog got his way? You know why? Because his master honored his persistence. Oh, I could spin this. Watch me. And the point is this, whether it's an immature pet owner or it's a reluctant neighbor that doesn't want to get out of bed, if persistence works then, how much more with a heavenly father? Can I ask you a question? You remember that person in your life that you care about, a family member, a friend that doesn't know Christ that is separated from God. Do you remember when you used to pray for him? Question, why don't you anymore? You know that problem that you have in your life? You know that issue? You know that question? You know that dream that you have that you presented to God's throne? Why don't you ask God for that anymore? What happened? You see, it's, it's, it's as if Jesus understands, listen, I understand that my people understand the theology of prayer, but the issue with so many of us is not that we don't believe in prayer. The issue with us is that we have not applied the practice of prayer. We asked him once, and we're like, ah, whatever. And Jesus emphasizes the significance of persisting in your prayer life and persevering in your prayer life. It's almost as if Jesus knows, okay, my people aren't going to get it. They're going to need another reminder. So if, you, if, if you're in your Bible, just turn to Luke chapter 18. Because just a couple pages later, he tells another story with the exact same point. This one is the story of a widow and a judge. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. It's interesting because a lot of the stories and parables that Jesus teaches, he doesn't tell them what the point is. A lot of times you get to the end of the parable and the disciples are like, what does that mean? Uh, not this one. In this one, he tells them up front what the story means. Now, when Jesus says you are to always pray, not give up, you have to understand there's two components to prayer life. One is dedicated, focused prayers. <coughs> I hope you'll come on Tuesday for five minutes, 20 minutes to the other church, but that's when you Close your eyes. You focus. You do nothing but prayer. You're not on your phone. You're not watching TV. You're not having a conversation. I'm doing only prayer, and I pray. That's one component. But the other component of prayer, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, is that you should constantly be in prayer. You're like, well, like, am I supposed to quit my job and become a monk? No. 
What he's saying is that as you're going through life, one of your first impulses when things come up is to immediately pray. It's not a long prayer. You don't close your eyes when you pray. You don't go somewhere else. It's, it, this is what it looks and sounds like. You ready? Here it goes. You're driving. There's traffic. You're late for an appointment. Someone cuts you off. This is what it looks and sounds like. God, give me patience. Give me patience. You're at work. You're at school. There's a sticky situation. There's a, there's a conflict conversation going on, and you're like, oh, my goodness, this could escalate quickly. This is what it sounds like. God, give me wisdom. Give me the right words to say. Just write that. That's it. That's just prayer right there. You're talking to a friend about inviting him to the comedian tonight, inviting him to church, whatever it is, and the conversation's going well. God, I ask your Holy Spirit soften their heart. Just like that. I'm golfing. It's the, it's the 17th hole. I'm losing. You know what I pray? I pray that my partner hits the ball into the water. <laughs> You're like, are you serious? I kid you not. Does God care about my golf game? I don't think he does but I don't want to get to heaven and find out that I could have asked and I didn't. So I want to pray for it. I'm constantly asking this stuff. It's a constant conversation with God. It's one of your first instincts, but for us, our first instinct is to gossip to a friend or to post on social media. No, your first instinct should be to go to your heavenly father. Always be in prayer. And so Jesus tells this story, and, he, and, and, and here's the story. You should always pray, not give up. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared for uh, what people thought of him. That's kind of a problem if you're a judge. There was also a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Now, let me give you a historical context because this is important. So um, we have some here in our church that are widowed. And I've talked to you and I've cried with you. Um, as you've lost a life partner. And it, it's, it's so hard. It's so hard. And the grief process and bouncing back, and you can bounce back, but there's always that, I miss him. I get it. If it's hard today, multiply it by 10 back in those days, especially for women. So let me help you understand. I did a lot of reading on this, but what, what we're told is that because of the context and culture of that day that was male-dominated and essentially patriarchal, when a woman lost her husband, she essentially went from living at a nice home in Pinole, and almost overnight, this is what would happen to her. I wrote it down to make sure I got it right. She would become virtually unemployable, almost immediately poor, normally resulting in homelessness, certainly resulting in becoming an outcast. One commentator said this, a widow in those days was the equivalent or is the equivalent of a bag lady today that's homeless. Nice home in Pinole, I lose my husband and my world comes crashing down, not only relationally, but financially. And on top of it, she's got someone that's picking on her. You want to know why? Because they know they can get away with it. So she goes to the only person she can think of, help me out, a judge. That's what you do when you're taken advantage of. Now, what you have to understand about the judge, you have to understand that the judicial system in that time is different. So for us, we go to Superior Court in Martinez, or we go to the local court in Richmond. Not in those days. If you went to court, you went to a tent. 
You know, what do you mean a tent? You see, they were circuit judges. So the judge would set up his tent, and he would have court in Penol today. And then he would set up his tent tomorrow and go in Vallejo. And then the following day, he would go to San Francisco. And then he would make his way back, and he'd meet in, 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 in Richmond. And then he'd go the next day and go to Hercules because you couldn't travel. So he would travel to you. They would set up the tent, and assistants would determine what cases were heard. Does that make sense? Now, here's the problem. There were too many cases for the docket. Too many cases. So we have a situation here where this poor woman has at least three strikes against her. Problem number one. Because there were so many cases, the way that you got your case heard, you want to know how? You grease the wheel. You drop a couple Benjamins. You bribe the assistant. Well, she has no money. Strike number one. Strike number two, the character of this judge. He don't care about impressing God, and he doesn't really like people. Kind of a problem. Problem number three, did you know that in those days, the law said a woman could not present her case in court? Can't even talk. Which is why it's so staggering that Jesus presents himself to women in the resurrection. They're the first witnesses of the resurrection. You think he's trying to send a message? I don't have a husband to represent me. I don't have money for a lawyer. What do I do? The story goes on, and here's what we read. Grant me justice against my adversary, she said. For some time, the judge refused. Let me just take you on a quick little tangent. Are you prepared for God to do that to you in your prayer life? Because I hear some of us, yeah, God hasn't answered my prayer yet. No, he has. Do you want to know what the answer is? No. As an earthly dad, there's times when I say no to my children. It's me being a responsible dad and actually trying to help them. Sometimes the answer is no. When you present a request to God, you're going to get one of three answers. Yes, no, wait. And I don't know about you, number two and number three, I don't like much. But are you prepared for it? For some time, the judge refused. But finally... He said to himself, even though I don't really fear God and I don't really care about people, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And what we think is happening is she's showing up at the tent. No, they're not going to hear her case, but she's always chirping in the background. And she she bumps into the judge at the supermarket, and then she sleeps outside of his house. And she's pestering the guy. I need your help. I need help. And then finally, the story ends, and notice what Jesus says. And the Lord said, Jesus said, watch, listen, observe what happened to the judge. Her perseverance and persistence paid off. Let me make sure you understand the main point. Write it down. If persistence works with an unjust judge, how much more with a loving father? You see what I'm trying to emphasize for you, all in caps. If if perseverance and persistence works in this situation and in that situation, how much more with your father that lives in heaven? Now, this makes sense until you start letting it seep in and you start having thoughts like this. Time out. Okay, wait a minute. So, David, are are you suggesting that I pray to God and I ask him for something 
I present a request or a question or an issue or a problem, and if, he, if, if I don't get the answer that I want or if he says no, am I supposed to be like the neighbor at midnight and just get God out of bed? Is that what I'm supposed to be doing? He said no. I'm, gonna, I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm going to keep not. Is that what I want to do? Am I supposed to be like the woman in the story? The word said bother. Is that what you want? Am I supposed to shame God? Am I supposed to bother him? Am I supposed to pester him? Until he finally, like, ah, oh, I'll go, whatever. Am I supposed to blackmail God? Because that, if you're careful, you go there, right? It's like this little boy lives in a good Catholic family, and he goes to his mom. He goes, Mama, I want a brand new bike. She goes, nope. He goes to Dad. Dad, I want a brand new bike. Nope. He goes back to Mom. Mom, I want a brand new bike. He's persevering. She goes, listen. Go in your room, pray to Jesus, see what he says about your brand new bike. So he goes in the room, and he kneels down by his bed, and he says, Dear Jesus, because I'm a good Christian boy and always obey my parents, I want... And he stops. He starts praying again. He says, Dear Jesus, because most of the times I'm a good Christian boy. And, no. Dear Jesus, because occasionally I'm a good Christian boy and obey my... And then he has an idea. He goes to the living room. And as a good Catholic family in the living room, they have a statue of, of Mary. So he grabs the statue of Mary and he wraps Mary in a blanket. He goes back to his room and he stuffs the statue underneath his bed and he starts to pray again. And he says, dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, I want, I want, a, I want a brand new bike. <laughs> so is that what I'm supposed to do? Because if you're not careful with these stories, it suggests and implies something that's going to make you conclude something that is not true. No, you're not supposed to pester him. No, you're not supposed to bother him. No, you're not supposed to shame him. But you are to persist. You are to persevere. And I got to tell you, the worst part for me in my study time is when something comes to me right at the end. And I'm like, shoot, now I can't fit it in. And what, what I got fixated on is why. Why do I have to persist? I mean, did he forget? I told him once. Why? You see it on the screen. I, I, I need to share it with you because it's important. I, someday we're going to spend an entire study time during this, but there's, there's a number of reasons why. Number one, because it strengthens my soul. Number two, because it stretches my faith. Number three, because it increases my dependence on God. Number four, because it matures and it deepens my character. One of the, the, the commentators I was reading said this. Just listen. I don't have it for you on the screen. Just listen. He said, persistence in prayer is not an attempt to change God's mind or to force his hand, but to get ourselves to the place where God can trust us with his answer. Let me read that again. Persistence is not trying to twist his arm to change his mind. It's trying to get you and get me in a place where we will really genuinely receive his answer. Wow. Why is persistence necessary? Number five, because it positions me for more of God's grace, for more of God's power, for more of God's wisdom. Why is persistence necessary? Because it conforms my, will, my mind to his will. So I hear people go, you know, we read those verses in scripture, ask anything you want. And God will give it to you. And we, we didn't read the fine print. The fine print says, yes, ask everything you want, 
according to his will, and he will give it to you. So if you don't ask according to his will, you already know what the answer is. So persistence and perseverance in prayer is not me changing God's mind. It's his changing my mind. That's why persistence is necessary. Now, I know what I've been telling you all to this point. Persistence and perseverance is is more about what it does to me. But look at point number seven. This is a point theologically and philosophically that blows my mind. I can't, I can't process it. I'm telling you, I can't process it. But you want to know what this book says? This book says that there are times that even when I come before God, praying in the right spirit with the right mind for the right motives, even when he says no to me, if I keep praying, and keep persevering, and I keep asking, and here comes the crazy part, somehow, some way, that actually influences the mind of God. And I can't figure that out. But I'm going to believe it. In October of 1962, we almost went to war with the Soviet Union. If you were alive during those days, you will remember what is today known in history books as the Cuban Missile Crisis. A reconnaissance plane was flying over Cuba, just off the coast of Florida, and they took pictures of something that shook the Pentagon in the White House. They saw installations, Soviet installations being built in Cuba that were being prepared for missiles. To have missiles so close to the mainland that could land in the United States literally within minutes of being launched from Cuba was a major concern for national security. Immediately, President Kennedy put a blockade on Cuba. The United States Navy surrounded the island because, you see, the missile installations weren't completed. At the very same time, 25 vessels from the Soviet Union were making their way slowly to Cuba. And those vessels, those 25 vessels, they had materials and product and missiles and men to complete the missile launch process and program. And the question that everyone was asking is what happens when the Soviet ships meet the U.S. Navy? Even if you read history books today, There were many that predicted World War III is going to happen at the very last moment. And when I mean very last moment, it was the last moment. Those Soviet ships rerouted and went back home. But what's interesting about the story is what happened within months, within one year of that event. What happened is what you and I refer to as the red phone on the president's desk. It's not technically and literally red, but here's what it is. Do you want to know, as Soviet diplomats and American diplomats tried to identify, why did we almost go to war? Do you want to know what their conclusion was? Because we weren't talking. We weren't communicating. Nikita Khrushchev, the premier of Russia, and President Kennedy, they, they, could, they would have a message, and they would send it to the Soviet Union. By the time they got it, so much had changed, the message didn't even matter anymore. So they put a red phone 
in the White House and at the Pentagon, and they put a red phone in the Kremlin. So at a moment's notice, they could pick that phone up and talk to one another. I don't want to be melodramatic, but if you're not picking up that hotline, that phone, and communicating with your Heavenly Father, this is your pastor saying you're going to get in a hot mess. Faithful prayer. Persistent prayer. Heartfelt prayer. Let's pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you the question that I asked you earlier on. What did you used to pray about? Who did you used to pray for? What problems, issues, and concerns used to come up in your prayer time but no longer? Question, why not? Why not? I want you to make a commitment this morning. God, I got it. I'm committing to get back on my knees to persist and persevere in prayer. And now I'm going to give you 30 seconds, you and God. Now's your time to talk to him. You and God. Dear Heavenly Father, as we just wrap up our study time, collectively we are grateful for the privilege of prayer. We're grateful that we have immediate access to you. But Father, at the same time, we confess that we have not followed all of your directives when it comes to prayer, in particular, persisting in prayer and persevering in our prayer life. Father, I pray that you would give us the discipline uh, to follow through on what we've learned today. Because it's great that we have this 21 days of prayer, but what happens on day 22? When we have no more email video devotionals, no more pages in the book, no more sermons on Sunday morning reminding us. Father, may we be a people, may we be individuals, may we be a church that is is mindful of the significance and importance of persevering in our prayer life. We heard you loud and clear. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.